Tappers, what's up? It is the Tuesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope everybody is doing well. The weather is nice here in Wisconsin, um, so I hope you guys are enjoying that. Hope you enjoyed the national championship game. It wasn't much, but we do have winners for the ninth annual Snow Tap Madness. I think it's ninth annual, but anyways, we have another winner. Uh, I want to congrats Alex, Mike, and Dean on their winnings. Um, congrats, guys. Once again, my fiance finished outside the top three. This is now the, what? This is her fifth outside the, the money win, but being in like the top 10. Again, she is the Buffalo Bills of March Madness. It is incredible. I don't know how it keeps happening, but it's it's just something to admire. Um, as she continues on. But I, I appreciate everybody participating. Thank you for the love um, and look forward to doing it next year. Maybe we'll blow it out even more. I say that every year, but I always feel good. Like, hey, maybe there's an opportunity to blow it out even further. We got a good show today. Um, we're gonna talk about Aaron Rodgers and the haters are back at it again. And Aaron Rodgers is yet again quieting the haters. We'll talk about that. We will also talk about the Brewers' offense and what's wrong with Keston Hura, um, specifically. Um, why we're looking like 2020, as I thought we were kind of over this, uh, appears that we are not. Also, we're going to talk about, is going undefeated the hardest thing? Is it the harder than ever? Um, as Gonzaga could not finish the deal, obviously putting college football aside, it's easy to go undefeated in college football, but we'll talk about other sports where it is really hard to go undefeated. And it seems like almost this impossible task. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll do Chuck's corner. Um, why 32 is the year you get judged for partying. So we got a fun show. I'm, I'm excited for it. I am happy about this one and looking forward to it. Tomorrow, we have Building Murph's Draft Manifesto. We also do some master stuff and we'll probably talk about the Brewers and Bucks. It'll come in the morning, by the way, if you're an early listener, um, just because Bucks play at nine o'clock. So there's no way I'm gonna be doing a podcast at 11.30 unless I'm fired up to do it. Um, and then we will have Tabbing the Keg the next day, um, Mitch and I, and then another edition of the Draft Manifesto um, so those we'll have two draft manifestos as well as oh we might have an interview with uh, Shaken I haven't I don't know if we'll do it um, but if we do um, we'll also have the manifesto in there so we'll do a twofer on Saturday or Friday which will be a first for me I don't I don't think I've ever done two interviews in one one podcast so I feel like I'm an actual real life podcaster it's incredible all right I've wasted enough of your time let's talk about Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers and the haters are back at it again and Aaron Rodgers has silenced the haters before Aaron Rodgers has kept the haters quiet Aaron Rodgers has sort of basically calmed everything down and I don't think I said it on the podcast. I don't think we talked about it, but I definitely wrote that if Aaron, we hadn't heard from Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Rodgers really hadn't talked all off season and this whole contract thing. And if we were going to hear from Aaron Rodgers, he'd go talk to Pat McAfee. So he was on Pat McAfee's show yesterday. And I was like, all right, we're going to kind of get some information on kind of what Aaron Rodgers is, who Aaron Rodgers is sort of talking to. Is there anything going on here? Can we can we read through the tea leaves? Can Mike Florio make a story out of this? And really he can't. Because it seems like Aaron Rodgers has sort of found internal peace. 
Like he seems like he met the Dalai Lama and it's like all come together. Now he did meet the Dalai Lama once, but I'm thinking of like the scene from uh, Caddyshack where Carl Spackler is like, and you will have internal peace and gratitude. It feels like Aaron Rodgers is like, look, man, I don't give a fuck about what happens. I'm going to play my ass off. I'm going to do everything I can to show Green Bay that I can be here for multiple years. And if they still want to trade me after I've been an MVP one year and who knows, maybe a runner up or I we contend and we go to a championship or we go to a Super Bowl for the third straight year, I'm going to at least throw a wrench in the plans. I think there was nothing wrong with the wrench comment. I know some may take that out of proportion because as we talked about last week, the Packer media mafia wants the drama. They want this news story because it keeps them employed. It lines their pockets. They have nothing else to talk about. Aaron Rodgers said that as much and I loved him for it because it's very true. And you know all of these guys that were taking a victory lap on Saturday because I saw all of them saying like, oh, I guess we're not idiots. I guess, uh, you know, we're not writing for the onion. It's like, yeah, you fuckers. It. Aaron Rodgers basically said that. Like, he didn't say it was fake news, right? But he was like, look, you you need stories. You need content. And what better content than, oh, this contract thing is driving a wedge between the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. They didn't say that. But they basically said that this could get ugly. And no, and, but it's exact, it's the same playbook that we talked about with Matt LaFleur and Rodgers. Rodgers and McCarthy. Now, Rodgers and McCarthy might have been a little true. Rodgers and Jordan Love. So, like, this has been the sort of playbook of, like, all right, let's run the Aaron Rodgers disgruntled story because that will give us, I don't know, three or four weeks of content. And it's just not true. And, and I and I say this again, and I, I've been, I know I've harped on this, and I know you're probably like, Charlie, I'm sick of this. But, like, look, Brian Gunacoust is going to all these pro days right now. All Brian Gunacoust cares about is the draft. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be disrespectful to Aaron Rodgers. You guys know I love Aaron Rodgers. I'm one of my favorite athletes of all time. He doesn't give a fuck about Aaron Rodgers right now. Right now. Now, after the draft is settled, after every all, every, there's sort of that in-between between uh, the draft and OTAs and all that, I'm sure there's going to start being some conversations. And I'm sure there's going to be some conversations there about, all right, like, let's try to restructure this. Let's try to get a deal done. You know that there was a report last month from Ian Rappaport basically saying, like, look, or I think it was Mike Silver, Ian Rappaport, whatever. It was both of them. Sorry to the big J's, so I don't give proper credit here. But they said, look, we are going, the Packers could have easily converted Aaron Rodgers' contract into bonus and without talking to him. They could have just done it without his permission. They didn't do that. They want to have a conversation with Aaron Rodgers about a restructure. So if we believe that, and and who knows, maybe that's wrong, but that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are going to work together on this thing and get a deal done. They are going to hammer out a deal and make it happen for Aaron Rodgers. Now, what does that mean for Jordan Love? I don't know. I can't, I can't answer that at this point because I don't know the contract. And at this point, at today, if you were to ask me on April 6th, 2001, 2001, 2021, if Aaron Rodgers, wow, 2001, it's like, what is a podcast? That's the, like, is podcast, what, what is this? What do you, what do you talk into a computer? What, 
Anyways, sorry. I, that was just a funny, funny uh, misspeak. Um, Aaron Rodgers, I don't think he's the quarterback next year. I don't. I think it's Jordan Love. Uh, because you have the option, you can trade him, you can make it happen. I think I think Jordan Love's the quarterback next year. I would say that today. Now, does that mean a month from now or two months from now that I feel the same way? No. Jordan Love could get traded at the draft. Just saw what Sam Darnold got, right? Sam Darnold got three draft picks. And now Sam Darnold obviously has some tape on him. Jordan Love does not. But you're telling me Jordan Love couldn't get a third and fifth round for next year? And maybe like a fifth or sixth thrown in this year? You're telling me that couldn't happen? The Packers going to build their draft capital and trade Jordan Love. And for those wanting to say, oh, and are still harping on, can't believe they didn't take a receiver. I just want to remind you real quick, the guys picked after Jordan Love, Isaiah Wilson, he's probably out of the league. He got caught in a high-speed chase in Miami. He got traded there from the Titans after one awful year. And it seems like Isaiah Wilson is as lost as any athlete I've seen in a long time. Jeff Gladney, the other guy who got picked after Jordan Love, just got a brutal uh, felony assault charge to him with a woman. It is graphic. It is grisly. It does not sound like Gladney's going to play in the league either. So for those who are like, oh my God, they should have drafted somebody else, look at what was available at the end of the first round. And again, not to bring back what I've said from day one from Jump Street, Jordan Love was their last guy that was number one that was in their first round draft board. They have first round draft board, they have second round draft boards. Jordan Love was the last remaining guy, and that's why they traded up for him because they did not want their first round pick to be a bust. And I think Packer fans should be happy that they didn't draft a guy like Isaiah Wilson or Jeff, especially Jeff Gladney, who's I mean the you read the thread of where he, of his arrest and at, it's really bad. It's really graphic. Um, and he's a piece of shit. And that's really all I need to say about that. I know that this Aaron, this latest edition of Aaron Rodgers talking with the media and the field goal thing on Jeopardy, it will not keep the haters quiet. Aaron Rodgers is good for business, right? Aaron Rodgers will always sort of elicit reactions. No matter what he does, he is a content machine. I almost expect that every day I will be blogging some viral moment from Aaron Rodgers' Jeopardy. I think that's part of our kind of cadence at this point, right? I just expect it. That said, I, I think we do need to kind of rest our guns here and say, all right, we don't know where we're going with this contract thing. We can spin it. We can make, make shit up. But at this point, nobody knows anything. And until there is at least a little sign of one way or the other that there is a sign that this is Aaron Rodgers last year or it's probably his swan song. Something kind of similar shit that we would hear with Tom Brady and things like that. Um, we can't really we can't really do anything more. And, and the journalist should respect it and say, all right, we, we are done talking about this for a little while. We're on to the draft. Find some good draft stories. Run your Quinn Merritt story from Whitewater and how cool it would be if the Packers drafted him in the second or third round. Um, work on something else. Work on Badger lineman history. I don't know, right? Like just do something that is not Aaron Rodgers because I don't think it's a thing. 
As for the Jeopardy stuff, now Mike Florio is going to go crazy with Aaron Rodgers being like, I want to be the permanent host of Jeopardy. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers has to be good at it. He has to be the best of the best if Jeopardy decides to go that route. I think it's really interesting that Rodgers wants to be the permanent host and believes he can do it with football. That's very fascinating. If you think about other athletes who have transitioned to maybe game show hosts or just hosts in general, like Michael Strahan I'm thinking of, you know, you had to kind of retire. And even though Rodgers is like, I can fit it in and do that, I think there would be a lot of people, as weird as it sounds, who would worry that he'd be a little distracted and he wouldn't be all in on the idea of football. And where is his head at? And where where is he thinking he's going to go here with the Jeopardy and football? I, I feel like you're going to have to choose one or the other. I know Rodgers himself feels confident in himself that he can do both. But that's just managing a lot. That's just asking for a lot from the quarterback. And so maybe now in COVID times or whatever, and he's thinking less about football that he's like, I can do all of this. But I don't know if it even works with Jeopardy's schedule. I don't know how Jeopardy works. And I know they're like, it's 46 days, but so we're just not going to tape Jeopardy from fall to winter. And he's like, is this like a deep con or is this like a tell? If someone really wants to go, like the Florio conspiracy theory is that Roger would Rogers retire to be the host of Jeopardy? And I don't think he'd retire to be the host of Jeopardy. But as pointed out by my father yesterday or on Sunday when we were talking about Rogers, he's like one collarbone or concussion injury away from just probably being done. He's made enough money. If you have a third collarbone injury, that it just seems like a lot, right? He's had, I think, like seven concussions. So you do wonder if like this is Aaron Rodgers' way out and Shailene Woodley not being a football fan, is she kind of saying, look, you got to think about your future. I want to have kids. I don't want you to be a vegetable. And Rodgers just decides to ride off in the sunset with his new wife and it's a new. it's just his life and he's just happy with it. And he wants to do Jeopardy. He wants to do other hosting gigs, maybe. And he's just ready to move on to another part of his life. Now, I do, I do think there is a concern. You can wonder if he's going to be all focused. Is he going to be all in this year? I don't know. We'll see. But if it's his last year, if it's a swan song, he's going to want to get to the Super Bowl. And I don't know if it's going to be his last year, though. And I'm not ready to say that. But I, I was dunking on Florio um, on Saturday when Florio was like, would he retire to be the host of Jeopardy? And and then I was like, God damn it, Florio. Like, just once, can you be normal? Can you just not be a Vikings fan once in your goddamn life? But I, I, I think it's not necessarily the, I, I would leave to go be the host of Jeopardy, but more so is, is Aaron Rodgers transitioning into another stage of his life? And that is that stage of his life. Is football f- the first thing he's thinking about? Or is it kind of secondary or tertiary? I think that's after secondary. If you're counting at home. I, I'm impressed myself. But has football taken a backseat? Is Aaron Rodgers more concerned about being a husband and then maybe being a father than he actually is being a football player? Which if he is, like, look, I'm not, I don't care. Like, good for him, man. That's exciting. That, that's what we should all want. We all we all should want to be 
a husband to our significant other if we have one or if we hope to have one someday. And we all should want to be a father if that's the route we, our family has chosen. So I'm not going to get on Aaron Rodgers' case about it. But yeah, I, I think that we did get some answers. We also got some questions about Aaron Rodgers and where, where it kind of goes from here. Moving on to the Milwaukee Brewers. So the Milwaukee Brewers lost again last night. They lose their Chicago Cubs 5-3. to three. Um, The Brewer, it was a weird game, right? Because it was both teams could not get a hit in the first four, first three and a half innings. They both were no hit through three for the first rotation through the order. And then the Cubs broke out on Brett Anderson. And Brett Anderson sinker stopped stinking. And he gave up three home runs in an inning to Wilson Contreras, who had a two-run dong. Javi Baez, who went Yabo. And David Bodie, who I think is a Brewer killer. I would, I'll be ready to say David Bodie, noted Brewer killer. Um, so the Cubs were up 4 nothing before you knew it. Now, they would, Brewers were able to get three back with an Omar Nevaez three-run shot. And it was 4-3. And then Devin Williams really struggled in his first start of or first appearance of the year. He was kind of jittery. It seemed like he was almost too rested. You see that sometimes with relievers. I do kind of worry what Hater's going to look like in his... Oh, no, Hater did pitch on opening day. But I think it kind of is a tell to Craig Council. You need to be pitching Devin Williams a little bit more, even in non-shutdown situations. Like, Devin Williams just kind of needs to be out there, and he needs the work. Like, I think Devin Williams maybe should have pitched on Sunday or even on uh, Saturday. Thought JP Fireisen was good though. I want to note that. I think JP Fire Fireisen has been one of the bigger bright spots of the bullpen thus far. Now we're four games in. It's a early part of this season. And maybe that's where we don't get that nervous about the Brewers offense. But I hate to say it, like this Brewers offense looks a lot like the 2020 Brewer offense. Now they brought in Colton Wong. Lorenzo Kane came back. You lost Ryan Braun, yes. Jackie Bradley Jr. also in. This 2021 Brewers looks very similar to what 2020 was like, where the Brewers were overly patient, were getting no hit early on, and were not jumping on teams, and were almost waiting and being almost too patient. And I and I just wonder, the philosophy for Andy Haynes, I kind of thought changed, and I was really critical of Andy Haynes last year. And I thought Andy Haynes' approach to baseball as a hitting coach was a was the bad one, was a wrong one. And just that the Brewers seemed too patient and they were like waiting for the perfect pitch and not just, not necessarily first pitch swinging, but just kind of being aggressive. It never felt like the Brewers' batters were aggressive in the box. And spring training and Haynes' comments, uh, this, you know, sort of spring training, I was like, all right, you know, maybe I was a little too hard on Andy. Maybe maybe I rode him just a little too hard. And last year was such a weird year, right? But now we're seeing the same sort of shit. And, it, and we didn't really see it in spring training. And so that's the weird thing. Is it just the pitching is better and that we, we are not accustomed to this new pitching? Not new pitching, but are we accustomed to big league pitching on a regular basis and that's what's sort of getting at the Brewers or is it that they've sort of reverted back now that the regular season has started and they're not as free and they're more uptight and they just need to loosen it up a little bit and kind of play like they were with spring training I don't know but it doesn't really make sense to me 
that Milwaukee has sort of reverted to their 2020 self offensively. That just should not happen. That just should not be what the Brewers are. And I'm not ready to like push the panic button here, but I'll also be a realist and say, you got to win today because Kyle Hendricks has owned the Brewers, especially at home. Kyle Hendricks is great. And now I know Pittsburgh beat Kyle Hendricks at home last Thursday afternoon. So maybe the Brewers can also jump on Kyle Hendricks, but they've struggled mightily against Kyle Hendricks. And baseball, I know, is a funny sport. And who knows? Maybe they put a seventh spot on him. So I am not ready to be like, oh, yeah, we're going to beat Kyle Hendricks on Wednesday afternoon. You got to win tonight and maybe show a little punch of that firepower because I do think it strains the pitchers. And, and Brett Anderson would not blame his offense and say, well, I got no run support. So I, you know, I was tight out there. I felt like I had to throw every perfect pitch. And that led to three home runs. Brett Anderson's not going to say that. He's kind of a prick, but he's not going to just throw everybody under the bus. I think he's a good teammate. And so, but it does put pressure on these guys. Like it, it puts direct pressure on these pitchers. And we have a young guy like Freddie Peralta. Freddie Peralta is going to need all the support he can get. And so if you can get out early on, on Albert Alizé, like that'd be great. Like that'd be a great development for the Brewers. But it, it's ugly right now. And I don't know what to really make of this offense at this point. And I know it's four games in. But this it, it just looks reminiscent to last year. And if you're going to have an NL Central winning team, you got to have more firepower offensively. And you can't necessarily be this sort of wilted flower and come to life later in the game. And that's exact. I mean, literally, this was a 2020, this felt like a 2020 game. And so I'm really hoping that this is just a blip. I know Narvaez after the game said, look, we have confidence. We know what we can do. And we just need to start hitting the ball better as a unit. All right. I appreciate that comment. But let's, let's actually fucking see it and stop talking about it. You know, I don't know what's wrong with Keston Hira. I have no idea what really is happening here. You know, he's 0 for 16. He's had eight swinging strikes. He had a huge opportunity uh, in the game yesterday and he grounded out to, made contact, but he grounded right to third base. It was an easy 5-4-3 double play. Ended a Brewer rally. I, I He just needs some days off. And I can't believe I'm saying this after game four, but he, he needs a day off. Like he, he just needs a day to just sort of settle down. It seems like he's pressing or knock him to like the sixth or seventh spot in the order. Bring up Narvaez, who's been hitting the ball well. All right, like just do that as a fix or bring Avi Garcia up, bring Lorenzo Kane up or Jackie Bradley Jr. for that matter and bring Hira down and say, all right, Creston, you're hitting sixth. You're hitting seventh. They did that with Lorenzo Kane, if you remember last year where Lorenzo Kane kind of struggled early on and they brought him down in the order. Try to see if that helps out. Try to see if the pressure of being one of the guys is lessened. Because he is facing a lefty today, which helps out, right? He's he's good against lefties, or he has been good against lefties. And then you look at the other side of it where it's like, oh, I got Kyle Hendricks the next day. Don't play him against Kyle Hendricks. Give him the day off. Let him rest. Let him figure it out. Or give him both days off. And let's restart against the St. Louis Cardinals and sort of just fresh sort of start the season over. 
It's the Cardinals home opener. It's also your opening day. All what happened the week prior is gone. I don't know if Keston Hira is just in his own head. I don't know if he's just thinking too much and he just needs to play baseball again. And I know we see slumps from young guys. And we kind of saw it last year with Hira with the sophomore slump. And this year, I don't think it's really a sophomore slump. I just think the guy is just not in the right headspace. And I think he he just needs to sort of refocus, recalibrate. And once he does, I think he'll be all right. But I, I just really hope that this is not the casting hero we see all season. And I know adjusting positions is a lot. And I, I know that there's a lot going on in the world that maybe is affecting his headspace a little bit. And so maybe that's part of the problem too. And I, I don't know if anyone wants to broach that subject. I'm certainly not at liberty to talk too much about it. I'm, it's me just kind of wondering out loud. And I would want to hear it from Keston first before I'd react. But I, I can't help but think about that. I've thought about it a lot the last two days. So I can't help but wonder, right, if that's affecting him. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what happens with Keston. I have all the faith in the world that he's going to figure it out. He's a really good hitter. He can really hit. There's no reason to think that Keston Hira can't kind of come up from the dead. Let, let's move on. Let's talk national championship. I don't really want to talk about the game because, you know, this is a local podcast. But I do kind of want to talk about just kind of a random topic that I thought about. And I was thinking about it. And besides college football, putting college football aside, is undefeated, going undefeated the heart, is the hardest thing to do. Like, is it harder than ever to go undefeated? The last undefeated football team was in the 70s. The last undefeated college basketball team was also in the 70s. Basketball doesn't really have an undefeated streak, but I believe you've had the Bulls and Lakers going 15-1 in the playoffs. I think that would be as close to an undefeated streak as you can get in terms of NBA. And MLB, I think similar. I think the Yankees had a stretch there where I think they only lost one playoff game. Something like that. Crazy. Those are those are those examples, right, of undefeated streaks for those, you know, sort of sports where you play, you know, 80 to 162 games. Like, obviously, you're not going to go undefeated if you're playing that many uh, games of your sport. So why is it so hard to go undefeated? Well, I think the media has a lot to do with it. I think these guys, because they're on social media, they are seeing everything. They are just getting their tires pumped all the time. And they they hear about it. Even if they're not getting like the hype, even if people aren't in their mentions telling them how great they are, they are seeing articles about, oh, they are so close to immortality. They are so close to being this undefeated team that it's really hard to focus in on it. And I, I think that's a problem. Like Gonzaga, for example, everybody was so excited for Gonzaga after they beat UCLA. And it was almost like it was Gonzaga's national championship. That Gonzaga was able to win this game and get to the final for the second time in their school's history. And that because they were able to get to the final, that was enough. And it was like, that was a big game. And it was an odd comparison because of it, it's such a bigger event. And it's so, there's more brevity there. But when Jim Nance mentioned the miracle on ice to Mark Few and said, well, you know, that was a semifinal game. It was so true, right? 
Like, again, the Miracle on Ice is a thousand fucking times more important than than this Final Four game. There was, like, actual political implications with that game. That game just mattered so much more. But it, it's so true sometimes, and we see this in sports, where if you have a extremely dramatic secondary game, the game before the big one, that next game is just a complete disaster. And just the energy is out. Remember, they only had one day. And that's commonplace, whatever. But don't you think if this game was played on Thursday, like let's just say it was, the Masters is the lead-in and they're playing this Thursday night. It's total hypothetical. Do you think Gonzaga is a little more well-rested and a little more down-to-earth and a little bit more like, all right, we, we're good. Now, I thought Baylor was a better team. I'm not taking anything away from Baylor. But Baylor punched them in the mouth right away and Gonzaga couldn't get up. Because they were just, it was a fury of punches. And it, and I know that this is kind of a high thought, but I notice how like sometimes we get themes in, in like all sports. Like last year's college basketball, I'm sorry, the NFL, the Super Bowl, was very similar to this, right? Where the team we thought that was going to do the ass kicking was actually the ones getting their ass kicked. We all thought the Chiefs were, not all of us, but a lot of us thought if there was going to be a blowout, it'd be the Chiefs, not the Buccaneers, because the Chiefs had not got blown out in the Patrick Mahomes era. And so when it happened, it was very stunning. And I think if we look at that game, the Gonzaga game, if anyone was going to blow somebody out, it'd be Gonzaga, maybe Baylor. And and when I looked at it, I originally liked Baylor. I I liked Baylor plus the six. I was like, ah, maybe even the money line. Got down to four, and I was like, ah, now I kind of like Gonzaga. And it, it, it's a very good example, just really quickly, of trust your gut. And my gut told me, I was like, this Baylor team, man, they just look like they're firing on all cylinders. And the fact that Gonzaga, it should have been a bigger red flag that Gonzaga wasn't able to just bury UCLA. And because Gonzaga wasn't able to bury UCLA, the fact that they needed a buzzer beater to beat UCLA should have been a red flag. But we didn't we didn't see it. And Baylor is victorious. Baylor's our national champion. They their top three players were transfers. Uh the new normal is here. I think transfer portal is gonna just swell. I don't know where all these guys are gonna go. Um, I think it's a real problem, right? I, and I don't wanna sound like an old man here because I, I don't have really any problem with the transfer portal as Others have pointed out, the Kobe McEwens of the world who's looking for a new team, he's in the transfer portal. He said, you know, coaches are allowed to do whatever they want. Players just don't have that right. It's very true. But I do think that this transfer portal can be a gift and a curse. And yes, some guy like a Kobe McEwen can find a place, I don't know, Youngstown State. You know, Jamal Cain just went to Oakland, um, which is a a uh, Horizon League team. And I think it'll be really good for Jamal Cain. I think he'll be kind of the man on that team. And he'll get some real opportunities. And good for Jamal Cain for wanting to do that. He goes, comes back to Michigan, his home state. Like, that's a, that's really exciting for him. And so who knows where Cody McEwen goes. But the idea of the transfer portal being the reason Baylor won, you're just going to see so many more coaches dive into it. Duke will do it. Kentucky will do it. Kentucky already has. They got a kid from Davidson. 
Um, but you'll see Kansas, um, any of the Blue Bloods, Michigan State, Indiana, they'll all get into it because this now is the new normal. And this is how you win a championship by almost building a roster. Now, you got to be good at it. I thought it was really interesting. Eric Musselman, on part of my take, talked about how they basically do it. They evaluate these guys like you would a prospect in Major League Baseball. And you look at, like, the mid-majors as the minors. And, like, how do these guys, how do you extrapolate their stats to the SEC? And so it was a really interesting commentary from Musselman. I don't know if everyone's thinking about it this way. But, yeah, the transfer portal man is the secret sauce right now. And they have the sauce. And Baylor is the champion. And good for them. Very excited for... I'd say very excited. I don't really like Scott Drew. So I should say very excited for Baylor. I'm not. Um, But I do like some of the guys in that team. Like I like Macy Oteague. I like Jared Butler. He's a good dude. He was on part of my take. He sounded like an awesome guy. Mark Vitals, really uh, interesting player. A lot of like, I I know he kind of looks like him, but he also kind of plays like him. A little Boris Diaw kind of type. I know, I think John Austin called him P.J. Tucker. He's a little too fat to be P.J. Tucker. But he kind of reminds me of Boris Diaw. Like, I feel like he's a very Spurs second round pick kind of guy. And who who's the other guy I like on that team? Oh, Davion Mitchell. I think Davion Mitchell's incredible. I like Davion Mitchell's a guy. If he goes to the Raptors, I'm gonna be pissed. Um, let's just put it that way. Like if he goes to the Raptors, I'm gonna be furious. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Or the Celtics. Like that would be terrible. So let's let's just not hope for Davion Mitchell to go to a quote unquote Eastern Conference rival to bring back a little draft manifesto. All right, let's do Chuck's Corner quick. Um, wow, I've done a long podcast. I didn't expect this to be a be a long one today, guys. But <laughs> I kind of found it interesting. So I was at Easter dinner on on uh, Sunday, as I hope you all were. And I was talking to my parents a little bit about, and I don't really know how it got up, came up, but I mentioned how I think we were kind of talking about like opening up and coronavirus, whatever. And I was saying how, oh yeah, you know, I went out the last three weekends. It was crazy. It was a lot of fun. Kind of the restrictor plate is off. It's been kind of a wild time. And my parents both sort of look at me and kind of go, eh, should you be doing this? Should you, like, it was a real, like, oh shit. Like, am I, like, is this sort of a, you know, kind of turning point? And my mom is probably my best PR that exists. Like, my mom is my PR staff. Like, my mom will come to my defense in everything. Even when I don't deserve it, even though when I don't ask for it, my mom will come to my defense. I love her for it. And she even was like, eh, I don't know. Like, shouldn't you and your fiance just be the ones going out together? Like, why are you going out without her? It's like, well, we're okay with it. And like, I've always said, like, if you're like, hey, do you want me to inside? Like, cool. I'll stay in. Like, I don't need to go out all the time. I, I really don't. And my thing, though, as I told them, was like, I just like being around people. And I was robbed of that last year. And you could say, get it all out. You're 31. No, well, you're year 31, 32. Get it all out. Now when you're 33, you kind of are like, all right, we're done. And I'll admit, like, there are bars at my age that I just don't go to, that I just don't want to be at after 11 or 12 o'clock. I'm sure you've heard the podcast, but I have a whole thing I, I did where I retired from Joe Cats. I haven't been to Joe Cats. Ah, God. I don't know. It's been a long, long time. Pandemic induced, right? 
but I have not been to Joe Katz. Usually there's a line at this point. I'm happy as hell that Joe Katz is thriving, but I just haven't been back there. Um, I really don't go to the Harp after 11 or 12 o'clock. I'll go to the Harp during the day. I think it's a fun day spot. I think that there is a good good vibe there. Same with Trinity, right? Like I'll, I'll go to Trinity during the day, not at night. McGillicuddy's, I've been out since the guy got stabbed there. I've heard the New Brothers is nice. Like I've heard it's like actually like a sports bar, but still there's a weird feeling about going into Brothers. So I feel like I still, even though it's hard to like sell that, and I didn't want to fight too hard on this. I just thought it was eye-opening that people were like, yeah, you're a little old now. And I'm like, I, I don't feel it because like my guys are still wanting to go out with me. They're still saying to me like, oh yeah, let's let's go out. And sometimes, sometimes nights are duds, right? Like, I don't know, I, you know, they, you have a couple drinks and you just go home. That happens too. But I think it's one of those things where the pandemic robbed us of an awesome summer. And we weren't allowed to do the things that we wanted to do. Yeah, we went out. But when you got drunk during COVID, you just kind of just had a few beers. But you never like, it was never rowdy. Because if it was rowdy, these people would get shamed or fined or anything. Like it was just, it was not the same. There is a sort of, it's, the restrictor plate's going to come off. It's going to be fun for a while. And it's it's just going to kind of be this summer. I think as more people get vaccinated and seriously go, go take advantage of it. I could not recommend it more. I'm fully vaccinated myself. So that's also part of the reason why like I'm probably more inclined to be like, yeah, full speed ahead here because I'm fully vaccinated. So I, I, I really have nothing to worry about and nor should you, and you, you should go get vaccinated. Even if you get one shot, you're 80% effective, you're good. And so that's, that should be your goal right now. And we should be wanting to get back to normal. But I, I wonder if it's not only the age, but if it's the year of, all right, you weren't, you didn't do this and you were, I, we liked you. And I, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. It, it was just, a, it struck me as weird. And I don't know if other people who are similar in age have had this conversation or experience, but it was just one of those things is where I think people sometimes like the personal side of the, the podcaster. So I was like, all right, we'll, we'll do, a, do a few minutes on this. So I, I'm done now. Um, we'll be back tomorrow. We have brewers. We have the war we have bucks warriors we have building murph's draft manifesto we have the masters um all those things may be talked about at least three of you will at least have three of those topics we talked about maybe one gets left you never know with baseball like i didn't do a review yesterday because a the game kind of sucked b the national championship was going on i was like you know what not gonna do a review and that's gonna happen so if you follow me on social snowtapwi on either Twitter or Instagram, and you see, hey, Charlie didn't do a review for the Brewer game. It's probably because the Brewer game was boring. The Brewer game wasn't worth doing a review for. So who knows? And if the Brewers are awesome tonight or the game is awesome tonight and it supersedes the Bucks, I'll do the review and then I won't do the Bucks. That'll just kind of be how it goes. So not that you care that much, but that's kind of what we're doing from a review standpoint moving forward. All right, guys, take care of yourself. Have an awesome day and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.